Well, it is great uh, to be back here in Muskoka, and uh, we lived up here for, I don't know, 15, 17 years, and it's not lost on me that I'm here three days before the black flies come out, and, uh, <laughs> and so I'm getting out of here this afternoon, and, uh, but you'll hear in just a moment, we'll be back. Um, thankful for what God is doing and how he is working. I have the privilege to serve as the Canadian Regional Director for the Great Commission Collective and uh, serving our churches across Canada and uh, watching what God is doing and how he is working in that is a great privilege for me. Uh, but churches are made up of um, regular people, made up of people who are prone to sin. Uh, the hymn that said, prone to wander, uh, Lord, I feel it, right? And, and so we know in our own lives those struggles that we face, and, and from time to time, churches go through um, struggles, and your church is going through a struggle like that. Some of you are more aware of it than others are, uh, but in the midst of that, uh, GCC Canada has been asked um, to help, and uh, that's part of what we do. Our, our GCC is about planting churches and strengthening leaders. Well, the strengthening leaders part inc includes how do we help and support and love and give direction because churches are autonomous. And so the churches are self-governed, and so we come when we're invited, and we've been invited. And so I have a, a little statement I want to read that just kind of helps you understand what the next week or so looks like, and then hopefully on a pathway towards what God will do in some awesome healing and restoration as only he can. So, um, and then I'm going to dive right into the word because that's really why I'm here today. But the Great Commission Collective Canada, the family of churches that your church is a part of, has been invited by the elders of Harvest Muskoka to complete an assessment of the challenges that your church is going through at this present time and to make recommendations to the elders um, to help the church move forward. Uh, later this week, so although I'm trying to escape the black flies, I will be back. Um, later this week, we will accomplish that by meeting with different groups of people. If it's helpful and, and in that we're invited by the elders, we will assist in the implementation of our recommendations. The elders have currently uh, directed your lead pastor, Kai, not to resume his pulpit ministry until after that recommendation has been uh, received. And he has submitted uh, to their leadership. Uh, please pray for us this week. Uh, guard your heart. Be careful not to communicate or entertain communication that in any way is destructive to the body of Christ. Uh, we are under the headship of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not our idea. It's not some phantom thing that some guy came up with. The church of Jesus Christ is God's idea. And help us, Lord, help us, Lord, never be in the way of what God is desiring to do in his church for his glory. So pray for us, pray for wisdom, uh, pray for your leaders, uh, and pray that God would be glorified. He would take us, uh, as you're going to see in this message, he would bring us to the places we need to repent in. He would give us a passion to move forward, and God would work for his glory. So let me pray, and then we'll dive right into God's word. Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you work if your Holy Spirit doesn't work through uh, these songs we have sung, if your Holy Spirit doesn't work uh, through the word we are about to hear, if we are not open and asking God, you to speak to us, we have wasted our time this morning, we should have just stayed at home and stayed in bed. 
But Lord, you are alive and you are well and your spirit is working in your church, your church here, your church in this community and your church around the world. God, for your glory, for your glory. And so Lord, I pray that today you would help us. You would help us to listen carefully to what your word is saying. Give us ears to to hear, minds to understand, but then Lord, willing hearts to obey what your spirit says to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, get your Bibles out. Open them up to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite and least favorite uh, texts in the whole Bible. Uh, My favorite because of the awesomeness of who God is, and my least favorite because what it calls me to do and calls me to be. And uh, I struggle with that because like the rest of you, don't leave me here, we're selfish we want what we want, and we want it the way we want it. And, and God lays out some things for us in this text that I hope will challenge you and stir you uh, to your core this morning. See, if we don't get our view of God right, if we don't see him on the throne, if it's not about his glory, then we get our lives totally wrong. We get the way we raise our families wrong. We get the way we, we intermingle with friends wrong. We get the way we live in our workplace. We, we get when we go through struggles. If we get our view of God wrong, we get all of that wrong. And if we get that wrong in the church, then we get the church wrong. And so God, help us as we look at this text to see who he is and to bring him the glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, I read that one because the longer catechism is too much for me to read. Right? So the Shorter Catechism says this man's chief end is what? What is it? Who do you know? What is it? Glorify God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What do you mean my God's chief end isn't to build disciples in the church? Or what do you mean God's uh, chief end isn't to have a family that loves Jesus? The chief end is to glorify God. And when we get that right, then we'll get the rest of it right. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God. Now that's coming out of a text. You shouldn't just take a verse and rip it out of, of what it's saying, but it's talking about eating food and all the rest of it and offending one another. And, and then at the last verse in that chapter, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, look at me, I've done a lot of those, or whatever you do. Okay, so it's not just eating or drinking, it's the whole expanse of our life. Do all to the glory of God. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. You know what? Would you stand with me? Let's honor God as we read his word this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one, one of the angels, called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, 
and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. You can be seated. The message is entitled, Broken by His Glory. Broken by His Glory. And the first thing I want us to take a look at as we look at this text today is you must see His glory. You have to see the glory of God if you're going to be broken by it. At verse 1 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. If you want to read about King Uzziah this afternoon, you can do that in 2 Chronicles 26. He was a good king. He was a good king who didn't finish well. And he's dead. And, and what's the purpose of that in this text? Is it just a, a marker for history? Might be. Scripture doesn't say, so I'm not going to go out on a limb. It might be just like, so this is when this happened in the story of history. It might be more than that. It might be like the, the whole kingdom is in a sense of upheaval. There's a lot of, we're not sure what's going on. We're struggling right now. It's this year. King Uzziah died. Oh, what's going to happen to us? But it's in that time frame, it's in that kind of a spirit, it's in that kind of an atmosphere that this happens in Isaiah's life. I saw the Lord, it says, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has a vision that forever will change him. He has a vision that's going to change the direction of his life, a, a vision that he's never going to forget, a vision that's going to give him a passion for God. It happens when you see the glory of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. You ever had a vision like that? You ever, ever come under the, uh, the, the struggle of sin and saw God on the throne and just were under the, oh my goodness, look how awesome God is. Look at what he's done. Who am I? I saw the Lord. You know, there are different ways you can see the Lord. I'm not going to go away from this was a vision because it was. But there's different ways you can, you, see the, you can see the Lord. You can see the Lord in creation. Um, Sue and I, this time, when we drove up here, came up the back way, up Highway 35, and up, the, and it was just gorgeous, just so gorgeous, and, it, and the leaves aren't even out yet, but just going and seeing the lakes as a kid, we used to go to Halls Lake as a kid, and I'd drive by that, and remembering, and, and just lots of things from NBC, driving down with students, and canoes going in, because they were going in at Kinesis Dam, and coming back out at the Leslie Frost Center, and, and just seeing God in his creation, and how awesome it is. You live in the, I live in the middle of Markham, Ontario. All I see when I look up in the sky at night is the haze of the lights from the Shoppers Drug Mart three blocks away, okay? You get to see God in his creation. You get to see it every day. And it's awesome. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful him of him and the son of man that you care for him? You must see God in his glory and you see it in his creative acts and what he has made for it. We see it in, in what he's built in us, in our conscience, in Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, 
while their consciences bear witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. God has built in us for us to see him in the conscience that he has put in us, and he has done that in your life. We see that through the word of God. You have to see God in his glory. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I saw a, uh, probably, I don't know if it, where it was. It was, uh, it was a thing I'm, I was going through on my iPhone one day. And I saw that, and it's just a young girl in the backseat of her car, and her dad's driving the car. And, and her dad says to the girl, he says, I wish God would speak to me. And the girl says, Dad, read your Bible. And then she says, and then he says to her, but I wish God would speak to me audibly. And she says, Dad, read it out loud. <laughs> you want to see the glory of God? You see the glory of God when you're in the word of God. And we need to be people of the book. Not people who show up and we get our Bibles out on Sunday, but people who are a people of the book so that we can see the glory of God. It wasn't this Easter that just passed, but the one last year I was reading through John as we're coming up to Easter and just reading the account of what happened to Christ. I sat in my living room and I just realizing what Christ has accomplished. If you want to be broken by the glory of God, you have to see his glory. We see that in his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus Christ. And you want to see the glory of God. You see the glory of God when you see the son of God in Jesus Christ. But then we have this situation here where we uh, see a God in a vision. And Isaiah has a vision. Um, God used uh, visions lots of times, um, and, and he used them powerfully. Um, Joseph in Genesis, Joseph in Matthew, here in Isaiah, Peter and Paul. So I'm not about to put down anything about a vision. I'm just going to say a couple things about visions. First of all, visions will never, ever, never, repeat after me, never contradict the word of God. So if you have a vision where God tells you to do something that goes against the express word of God, that's not a vision. That might be the pizza you ate last night. It might be bad chicken. I don't know what it is, but it's not a vision from God because God will never tell you to do something that goes against the express word of God. But God does work in visions, and God does move in those times in our lives. And he does this with Isaiah, and it's pretty awesome, the vision that he gives him. And Isaiah needs to see the glory of God in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Here's the first thing. There, there's a throne in heaven, and the Lord God sits upon it. God doesn't sit on a bench. God doesn't sit on a stool. God doesn't sit on a chair. God sits on a throne. It's a picture of a, it's a, picture of a judge. It's a picture of the king. God's sitting on the throne, because that's who God is, and he deserves all of the respect that's given to someone who sits on a throne. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This king that was sitting on the throne is gone. I've seen a new and a better king sitting on a throne, and he's God Almighty. Breaks him when he sees this. Anybody can sit on a chair 
but only one with true authority can sit on a throne. Isaiah was not alone in seeing God's throne. See it lots of places in the Bible, Job, David, the sons of Korah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the apostle John saw God's throne. It, it's all over scripture. In the year King Uzziah died, I see God and he's sitting on his throne. God's not up pacing around. God's not in a panic wondering what's going to happen. God is seated on his throne. Why? Because God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. He is our hope. In our world today, the bottom line is atheism or materialism. They believe there is no throne. There is no throne. Humanism believes there is a throne, but I sit on the throne. Isaiah looks out and he sees God and he sees God sitting upon a throne and it is high and lifted up. The throne, it speaks of this, the occupant in a superior position and it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Kings of that time would wear robes with long trains and, and nobody else could do it because you, with these trains you'd have people following you around to make sure it got to the right place. You've all been to a wedding where uh, the bride has a train and there's people who are uh, making sure it goes down the aisle, doesn't get caught in a chair and when they get up to the front somebody comes and fixes it. And see, it's only Because on that day the bride is the queen. Right, brides? And, and you've told that guy you're about to marry, do not step on that thing, because if you do and it pulls my headpiece off, I'll kill you right in the middle of the ceremony. Uh, is it, this is the idea of a train, and it, it's this, this God is there, and he has this train, and it fills the temple. Why? Because he can, because he is God. He doesn't um, serve himself. Other people serve him, and that's who we are. We are the servants of the Lord, of the King of Kings. This robe filled the temple. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. How's your view of God today? Do you serve a big God? Do you serve an awesome God? Do you serve a God who knows the beginning from the end? Do you serve a God who you can trust in the situation you're going through right now? The situation in your life, the situation in your workplace, the situation with your health. Isaiah says, in the, says, in the year that King Uzziah died, the world seems around him to be in a bit of a mess. Um, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. If you're going to be broken by the glory of God, you have to, you have to see. You must see. Here's the second thing. If you're going to be broken by the glory of God, you need to feel the weight of his glory. You need to feel the weight of his glory. Look at verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. Uh, these angels are flying around. Uh, they have two wings that cover their face. Because why? They're before God Almighty. It speaks of adoration. We can't even look at him. We have to cover our faces. With two, it says, uh, they covered their feet. Why? Because of, of modesty and submission and surrender. And then it says, and with two they flew because they were serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You need to feel the weight of who this is that Isaiah is looking at when he sees God, the one who is the creator, the creator of life, the sustainer of life, the one who is the ruler over death. You see these angels they're covering their faces so they don't look at God. They're 
They're covering their feet in submission. But they're serving. But they're serving. Feeling the weight of the glory. Look down at verse 3. And, and the one angel called to another and he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you don't see the glory of God today, look around you in the earth. Look around you in the story of Jesus Christ. Look around you in the word. Look around you in your own salvation, in your own sanctification, and see the glory of God and come under the weight of that glory. It causes him, it causes him to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Too often in my life, I got a puny view of God and a big view of myself. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Lord, I can take care of this. I've got this. It says your, your view of God is wrong. Like if we just manipulate things around, if I just do these things in my life, we'll get it all figured out. Your view of God is wrong. Holy is the Lord. The word holy means separate or not like us. There's this worship fest that's going on around them. And it's like, holy, holy. Set apart are you, God. Set apart are you, God. Not like me are you, God. Not like me are you, God. The whole earth is full. It's full of his glory. Now the text goes on and, and, uh, and it says... Well, let me give you a couple verses here. Verse, Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory, I give to no one else. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Whose glory? Not man's, not a system, not yours. God's glory, his essence, his presence, his transcendence. He, he transcends all. He is more. It comes from his character. It comes from his attributes. God is holy. God is just. God is jealous for you. God is loving. God is filled with mercy. God is filled with grace. His omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience. He is a creating power. Um, in his revelation in the word and in his son, in the working in your life, in saving and forgiving and in growing you up. God is awesome, and we need to feel the weight of that glory. Verse 4 says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Um, in his vision... His view of who he was, his view of what he was called to, it's all crumbling around him. And he's seeing God on the throne, and he's like, I need more of that. I need more of that. We're going to see that in just a moment in his life. Um, Isaiah only had a glimpse, though, of what we know. Right? I, I, he didn't have the rest of the story. Isaiah said and wrote more about uh, the coming of Jesus Christ and who Christ would be than any other prophet, but he didn't see it. He didn't know it like you know it. He was on the other side of Bethlehem. He was on the other side of the cross. He was on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was on the other side of, I go to prepare a place for you. 
He was on the other side of, I, I make intercession on your behalf with groanings that you don't understand. Like we have all of that. God's given it to us in his word. And Isaiah is before God going, you are awesome. You are awesome. And, and we sit there knowing the rest of the story going, we got this, God. And we're not broken. And we don't feel the weight. And we need to. Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, Jesus sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Does any of that shake you up a little bit this morning? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You must see his glory. You must feel the weight of how awesome God is in his glory. And then here's the next thing. You must be broken. You must be broken by his glory. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. Every tongue. I'm doing this illustration over here because I'm going to ask one of my family members to pick this up so we don't get my wallet. And if I just went out of a picture, oh, maybe I should come back over here. Apparently there's a camera. Um, this is a face made for radio, but you still need to stay in the frame. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every believer, every non-believer, every knee, every single knee. You're like, oh, I'm not going to bow. Yes, you are. As graciously as I can tell you that, one day you'll stand before God and go, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, maybe you don't believe in gravity either. But if I jump off of here, it's going to hurt these old knees. Because gravity is real. And whether you believe it or not, when I let go of my wallet, it's not just going to hover in the air. It's going to fall to the ground. Somebody come and get that, please, before somebody takes it off. It, it, because it's real. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And if you're here today, you need to look around and see the work of God and, see, and understand what Jesus Christ has done and understand you're going to bow. So this morning I'm speaking primarily to the body of Jesus Christ. And we need to be people who are broken by this glory of God. Getting off of, I think I can figure this out. I think if we just manipulate something else into a place here or there, we can get it figured out. We can't figure it out. We're going to screw it up big time until we come and are broken by his glory. My life first, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Look in verse 5. This is Isaiah's response, and I said, woe is me. For, oh my goodness, for God, you're awesome. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, as he sees the, the seraphim, as he sees the angels... 
and he sees God on his throne. Both of those things together bring him to the place of he is broken before his God. He's broken and a deep, deep sense of his depravity, his brokenness. It's so consistent in the experience of other, excuse me, godly men in the presence of the Lord, a Job in the presence of God, Daniel in the presence of God, Peter in the presence of God, John in the book of Revelation. They come before God and they see who God is and what he's done. What does it do? It breaks them. Now that's an awesome thing. You're like, I'm not going to be broken. You have to be broken. You never come to the cross. You never come to salvation until you're broken. You never come to fruitfulness in your walk with God. You never come to true sanctification until you're broken. Because it's not about me. It's what God is doing. And as Isaiah sees the Lord, he says, woe is me, for I am lost. When you see the glory of God, you immediately see your sin. Immediately, you, you see God on his throne and you're like, oh my goodness, I so miss the mark. Is that your story? How much has the awesomeness of God revealed the sinfulness of your heart in the last month or week? Or even yesterday. Like, hey, folks, I don't get through a day. Well, I don't see my pride get in the way. I don't get in the, I think I can do this, get in the way. I don't have a thought or, or a plan or a, woe is me, for I am lost. It brought him to see his sin. It's interesting, when David sinned against Bathsheba, he didn't say, against Bathsheba have I sinned. He said, against you and you only, God, have I sinned and when done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When you see God in his glory, the first thing it does is breaks you and brings you to the place of seeing your sin. And sin is sometimes just the wrong things. It could be uh, viewing porn or, or premarital, extramarital sex, or it could be uh, cheating on your taxes or cutting corners in your business or inappropriate relationships or how you deal with power in your life or how you think you're on the throne in your family when you're not, God is on the throne in your family or you're in control. It can be wrong things. Sometimes the sin in our lives, especially in our society, is right things at the wrong time. Whether it's a house or a car or clothing or wealth. I, I have to have that three-car garage with the, a pool in the backyard, which is not wrong if that's what God has for you. Or i got to have that brand new car, which I can't afford, and it's not a wrong thing. Maybe it's at the wrong time. And you're manipulating, so you are on the throne and not allowing God to be on the throne in your life. Sometimes it's the right things at the wrong time. Sometimes it's the right things in wrong amounts. But when you see God's glory, you see your sin. And then look what it does. It brings you to the place of, of repentance. It brings you to the place of repentance. Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands 
um, a burning coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. When, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he's broken in his sin, but he moves to repentance. He's like on his face before God. He's confessing before God his sinfulness. He's moving to, to, to repentance. Now, like we have this sense of repentance in the church today where repentance is, okay, I'm going in this direction. I'm into the world. I want the world. I want what the world wants. And, um, I, I'm not supposed to do that, so I'm going to go this way. It's a turning, and it is. Repentance is a turning from what you were doing to what you should be moving towards. That is a picture of repentance, but it's an incomplete picture of repentance because the reason so many of us struggle with whatever that sin is that's in your life is because although you turned, porn, um, business, um, you turn, you, you don't change your mind. It's like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to. So you stomp on your computer. You put some things on it, but, but you don't change your mind. Uh, Romans 12, too, by the renewing of your mind. See, the battle is not for your stuff. The battle of, is for your mind. And so God calls us not only to turn from doing these things, but to change our mind. But it's more than that, and it's taking a step and moving in a new direction. And that's what repentance truly is. Are you a person who is repentant when God speaks to you about the things in your life that aren't honoring him, that aren't bringing him glory? And if you're sitting there, can you just get to the next part of the message because you get past this? I get what you're saying. I'm not going to do it. This is, you're called to this as a follower of Jesus Christ. Isaiah's on his face before God, broken because of his sin and repentant and moving to what God wants for him. Now, the other thing, you might be sitting here today going, yeah, 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 I sure hope my wife's hearing this. I sure hope my kids are hearing this. If you're thinking that, you're thinking the wrong things. What's God saying to you about these things today? Isaiah's called out, he sees his sin, he's called out and he sees a repentance, a change of mind, uh, a, a repentance of my stubbornness or my pride or my willfulness, willfulness or my independence. And then when you see God in his glory, you immediately seek reconciliation. It says he touched my mouth. The relationship is made whole. Your sin is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. I can't uh, pretend to understand why that hot coal didn't hurt like crazy. But Isaiah doesn't say it hurt. Um, so whether God protected him from that or whether it was just a case of he's so overwhelmed by God and his awesomeness, he doesn't even realize it. But he comes to that place of being right with God. He touched my mouth. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. How awesome is it that Jesus Christ saved a wretch like me? Do you know who the wretch like me is? You, you're the wretch like me. How awesome is it that we're saved? We're dead in our trespasses and sins and God made us alive in Jesus Christ and I am a follower of Jesus Christ today. That's awesome. And that restoration that God did in my life 
I have to be so willing to push that out to other people. You need to be willing to push that out to your husband who has failed or your wife who has failed or your church that has failed. Who's like, who, who do we think we are? God's done an awesome work in us. It doesn't mean we excuse sin. It doesn't mean we push stuff under the carpet. It doesn't mean any of that. This is the message for my heart. This was the message for Isaiah today. Reconciliation comes. He's convicted. He's cleansed. And God calls us to that today. God calls you to repentance today. We had a situation in the church that I had pastored. I wasn't there anymore. And Went through a hard, hard time, and I preached this message at our church. Uh, as a matter of fact, in our church, we didn't have communion for at least one, maybe two months, because I didn't think we should. The elders didn't think we should, because of the things we were kind of working ourselves through. We had to come to a place of repentance. And I, I, it was a thing that was going on, and I found my heart getting stirred up in it, and I found my anger in it, and my anger wasn't always righteous anger. It was sinful anger sometimes, and did I say some things I shouldn't have said, and all of that, and I preached the message, and I called our church to repentance. And I got on my knees at the front of our church and said, God, I am so sorry for what I did. What's God calling us to in repentance today? What's he calling us to? How, how do we expect God to work and, and see him? Like, it, I'm always amazed that God works in spite of us, right? He does. We all know that. But that's not what we're called to. And, and so Isaiah is before the Lord, and he's repentant, and your town is watching you. The, your, your community is watching you. Your kids are watching you, and we're called to repentance. In our church, we had that at the end of a service, and then we had communion together. Because how could I call people, search me, O oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and let's just all go now and have juice and cookies, okay? But to feel the weight of the one who we remember. And Isaiah, who didn't know the rest of the story, he feels that, he sees that, he's on his face before God, and God restores him. God does the work that only, only God can do. Well, here's one more thing, and then I'm done. You must respond to God's glory. If you're going to be broken by his glory, you have to respond to it. Look in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, God. Broken, messed up, screwed up, a disaster, but one who you loved, one who you cared for, one who you saved. And Lord, I'm with you. I want to move forward. Use me how you want to use me. Use me for your glory. You have to respond. You have to respond to the glory of God. Who will I send? Who will go for us? It's a question. It's not a question that God is in heaven going, um, um, I wonder who will go. The question is not for God. The question is for us. What does God wonder about? Who will go for us? God's in heaven going, ah, uh, ah. Uh. God doesn't wonder about anything. What question would he have to know the answer to? God doesn't have any questions that he, know, he needs to know the answer to. Oh, what does he not know? God knows everything. 
So the question isn't for God. The question is for us. And today the question is for you. As you journey in your walk with Jesus Christ, where does this text take you as you are called to serve the Lord, the King of Kings? You're like, no, but you don't understand my sin. You don't understand where I've come from. Nobody's on the bench on King Jesus' team. There may be certain things that you're not going to be involved in. If you were guilty of robbing a bank, they might not make you the treasurer or the guy who counts the offering. Okay, I get that. But every single person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the messed up wretch of people that are in Scripture and see how God uses them. And God uses you in those same things for his glory. Who will go? Who will go? It starts with surrender. Ultimately, in my life and your life, it starts with surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that I was a sinner. Christ came. He offered the gift of salvation. I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And maybe that's your point of surrender today. You've never trusted Jesus Christ. And you're sitting in this room going, well, this isn't a group of perfect people. No, it's a group of sinful people who are saved by grace, who are moving forward for the glory of God. And you're looking at it going, ah, I get it now. I get it now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you can be saved. It starts in salvation. It comes in surrender, a right view of yourself. I'm not in control of these things. I am under the headship of Jesus Christ for his glory. It comes in worship, in personal, in corporate, with my head, with my hands, with my heart. It comes in obedience, in a quiet time, in prayer, in doing what God calls you to, in baptism, in first fruits, in sharing the gospel. It comes in serving the Lord. Are you fired up about serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he was fired up enough about you that, that he came and gave his life for you. And what's our response? Who will go? Who will go? I'll go. I'll go. What do you want, Lord? Who will meet the need of the widows and the orphans? Who will meet the need of the person who's hard to love? Who will meet the special needs in your community? Who will meet the needs in your church? Sue and I had the privilege of walking around in the parking lot last year when that, um, that thing you were talking about, the people with their stuff, all they're giving it all away. And I'm like, this is so awesome. Who will go? Well, so what? So what? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And seeing the Lord made all of the difference for Isaiah. Seeing the Lord in his redemptive work in your life makes all of the difference for you and for me. And it brings us to the place of being broken before him on our faces, God, forgive me. And I would encourage, I would implore you, if I was to use a good old King James word, I would beseech you before you walk out the door today, make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're repentant before God. Make sure you're not on the, I've got this figured out plan. And get on the Lord, you lead us. You lead us. Why, why, why? it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about his glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Who will go? I'll go, Lord. What you did for me, 
other also to the fame of my Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the message that Isaiah had. I thank you for what you did in his life. I thank you for the way that you walked him. You carefully, lovingly, you gave him this vision that has been protected and saved for us so that we can hear it and we can feel the weight of it and, Lord, even come under it in a way that he never understood because I've seen the finished work of Jesus Christ. I've seen his death. I've seen his burial. I've seen his resurrection. He intercedes on my behalf. The Holy Spirit indwells me. All those things he never saw, we have them. So, God, help us. Help us to see who you are, be broken by your glory, and serve for your fame. For the name of Jesus Christ is at stake. The church, his church, is at stake. And God, we want to one thing, one thing only, for your glory, Lord, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.